Hi, and welcome to Future Sight, a podcast from Capgemini Invent. I'm Liz Lunier. On this week's episode, we're giving you a preview of one of the latest exciting podcasts produced by Capgemini, Driving the Future, a show about the future of the automotive industry. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Driving the Future, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Greg Nussman. Driving the Future is a podcast about where the automotive industry is going and how not only to keep up with the rapidly changing business, but to shape it. Driving the Future features some of the top minds in the automotive industry from Capgemini and Vent and beyond. And together, we'll be covering all sorts of topics over the course of the series. From the intricacies of the commercial vehicle sector through to the innovative new sales models which are being implemented by OEMs and dealers alike, Driving the Future is the inside track into the future of the automotive industry. We've examined interesting stories about the move to electric vehicles, partnerships, and innovation at a commercial vehicles level, as well as taking a look at how e-commerce is changing the game to put consumers at the heart of the buying process. In this episode, we're going to showcase some of the exciting insights and interesting conversations we've had across the series. In our first episode, we spoke to Philip Van Kiel of Avere, the European Association for Electromobility. Here we spoke about the leaps they are making in sustainable transformation towards electric vehicles at a European-wide level. How does Avery work with governments or the European Union to enact effective policy? We are indeed recognized by the European Union on, on different levels, with, with uh, stakeholder meetings or, or different forum or working groups where we can address our concerns, in, in, uh, let's start with that, but also recommendations. So with our members, we, we, we have a, a very nice mix of, of even EV users, but even also the industry more oriented organizations to, to address which way it should go. And it can be that, yeah, that you have a, an idea of which it should go, but that, it, that you need to adapt it, of course. E-mobility is only happening in, in let's say, for real, the, the last 10 years. And now you see with a very high growth which different needs we have or which pain points we need to address. I want to go back to the way that Avery works uh, with the government or with, with the European Union around policy area. It would be helpful if you if there is a case study uh, that you could share or talk a little bit about a specific policy that you helped work on. One topic is the, which is very strange for many people that we are involved in this, is the um, the building performance directive. And you think, yeah, okay, we, we need uh, buildings that are, of course, um, better isolated and, and don't consume too much to heat up or to even to cool down when necessary and, and, and use less on, on light, etc., etc. What is What has an e-mobility to do? Of course, if you get all electric vehicles, we, we want to charge them also where we live or where we work. And therefore, the, the building directive is also addressing this part. So we want to have, when new buildings are built, we want to see that if there is parking lots, that charge infrastructure will be possible in the future. And now they want, we want to go a step further, and, and I think consultations are really going on that part. Is from Many people really, and you see it also on, on social media, yeah, I'm with electric vehicles, and they're gonna, who, where are we going to get the electricity from? The electric vehicle will also be a part of the solution. Uh, we want to definitely go for more renewable energy, much solar 
and much wind energy, but they're not always available as we want to. Typically, the sun, we have peaks around, around noon. If we can store this energy on an optimal way in the electric vehicle when there is too much, and if you even can stimulate people maybe on a financial way to do so, then the renewable energy will be very feasible to address and to grow on this path. And if you have a lot of electric vehicles, I imagine that we indeed go towards those millions of electric vehicles and that, that storage can be used on a high percentage because we don't use our vehicles as much as we think and most of the time they're standing actually still. But then we can use that energy in that battery storage but also to in, in the other way. I can actually, when there is a high energy demand at six o'clock in the evening when everybody comes home and start to cook. I can use my electric vehicle, I connect it to my house and I can cook on the battery when there is too much energy demand. So battery electric vehicle is really key of solution of the future energy demand and therefore the building directive is really addressing that we should connect as maximum possible vehicles when necessary, that we can um, charge them smart in the first place and that we also can use them as battery storage to supply or to optimize the renewable energy and the energy. That's really interesting. So we're not isolating it to the automotive sector. It ha- The electric vehicle policy uh, would have implications for other sectors such as, as utilities uh, as well. Definitely. And I, and that's the, the biggest change that we faced bef- before we had to, it's the automotive in the building industry or energy industry. They were not really talking to each other and now they have to. And this is one of the biggest challenges. We get a shift on the energy demand. We have different energy behaviors even. And the end part is, of course, also the decarbonization. In order for them to talk together and work together, that means that there would have to be a new landscape of services for them to be able to talk together and be able to to work together and and cooperate. Could you talk around some of the services that might be needed in order for automotive and construction and utilities and, and other peripheral industries to work together? First of all, what I see is it's all about data. You connect your vehicle to the charging point, there is a a handshake and they exchange data, what's going on. As I explained already, we will need to address the the renewable energy should be stored where possible. This is also data. So the key of the success here will be actually connect all these things and and this is on, on a digital way. So also there we need skilled persons that can handle this and, and do it on an optimal way. And you can also build in financial models on that. Eh? When I just said, yeah, if there is too much wind energy, yeah, I'm happy to charge my car. Or And this could be a financial incentive as well. So why should the car maker not also be involved in this energy supply? And we also have the charging infrastructure. If many people, not everybody can charge at home, but those who can, they're probably going to have a home charging point. We can also charge at work. In many countries, you also see that people have certain car policies. It's a huge mix that is coming on board. 
and and of course we talk also about cybersecurity. All this data is also linked to cybersecurity because the one who has getting access to this really can do a lot, good or bad. And what are the main areas where they could be doing more or could be moving faster? I think bringing the conversation. It should not come just from. It's the European Union that said, we're going to do it, you have to do this or this. Get discussions on the table. If it's just citizens, it's, it's the industry players, it's the, it's the truck drivers, bring them also on the table. Create a dialogue with them and it will be much easier to make the switch. Next, we took a deep dive into the area of connected services. We spoke to Nick Tat, Director for Connected Products and Services at Gemini about how monitoring fleets and vehicles on a mass scale could really benefit the move to sustainable practices. Yeah, interesting enough, my background, I actually spent a year as a commercial vehicle driver really early on in my career just to understand how connected vehicles and how commercial drivers actually use this uh, connected services space. And so what is really available right now is there's been a drive in the telematics front, which is making sure that we can get predictive analytics and understanding how to keep vehicles on the road. Because at the end of the day in America, we're using mostly just-in-time delivery and having uh, perfectly working vehicles, understanding where they are at all time and what their um, route is going to be like. That is very important to this whole process. So when we think about connected services in that realm is really just to enable perfect just-in-time delivery. So, Nick, one of the things that I've been hearing in some of my other conversations around commercial vehicles, and specifically the ones around electric vehicles, is that one of the things that's really driving change around electric vehicles are regulatory issues. And OEMs need to keep up with regulatory issues as they as they come online. How can connective services help? OEMs abide by regulatory issues? So when we're dealing with, when we're talking about government and regulatory issues, there's a couple things in play, such as IFTA with the fueling records and states and provinces. We're also dealing interstate commerce, hours of operation. It all comes down to a hours of service and logging your data of your trip. And you don't want to violate any of those guidelines. Connected services is going to make things a lot easier for drivers. For instance, when I was actually a driver, I spent maybe a couple hours a day uh, making sure my logbooks were in order. And that's very old school where you have to calculate things out, use maps and figure out distances versus now with electronic logging, it's all done automatically via a, a dashboard that's attached to the uh, telematics platform. So at the end of the day, it makes things easier. Everyone is compliant so that there are no violations. Um, and also safety, right? It makes sure that it keeps everyone honest. Safety is key here. We want to make sure that the drivers are abiding by the rules, but also we want to make sure that they're not constantly worried about keeping track of everything when they can focus on driving and being safe on the road. And are there any use cases that support sustainability? What happens is that when when you're allowing drivers to pick uh, their own routing. One of the biggest problems with commercial vehicle driving is that they are spending a lot of time on a road. So what we can do is bring in a lot of real-time navigation, real-time traffic data, and even something simple like topography, right? Where if we have a heavy overloaded, not overloaded, but a heavily loaded truck, if we're going uphill 
most of the way, that's a waste of gas versus if we can find an alternative route that might be half an hour longer, but it's all flat ground that eliminates excessive fuel. And it might actually make it faster delivery because they're not stuck in traffic on a different route. In the third episode, we discussed what can happen when organizations partner with third parties to work on something bigger. We spoke with Brad Young, head of automotive consulting at Capgemini, to find out how this can be so effective in the commercial vehicle space. Typically, in the past, OEMs, for example, partner with some very well-established companies, particularly in, in the engineering manufacturing space. So OEMs, for example, traditionally may partner with some large suppliers that provide parts and, and inputs to building a vehicle. That's nothing new. What, what is new, though, is now that the emergence of partnerships more in the technology and software space, particularly because that's a, a fast-growing area, but it's also not really a traditionally core skill of an automotive manufacturer. So, for example, we've seen new types of partnerships emerging with Apple and Google and Amazon, for example, but also companies like NVIDIA who are providing really a totally different type of capability uh, in the software space that uh, OEMs don't have. So the the nature of those partnerships is changing. As well as those bigger partnerships, we, we also see more, let's say, individual or tactical partnerships with very niche tech providers. One of my favorite companies is What Three Words, who provide this really amazing mapping solution, which is a totally different way of Uh, thinking about location and mapping, which of course is really relevant for navigation systems in in vehicles. And that's a great example of a really uh, brilliant niche provider who are partnering with the big automotives to bring better functionality into their systems. So there's a real combination of the big partnerships that might be longer term partnerships, investment into systems and platforms and and new ways of working, and, and actually also individual very niche partnerships that are solving a very particular problem as well. In this episode, we also had the pleasure of speaking with Michael Aubrey of Forecia, a French global automotive supplier who are one of the largest international automotive parts manufacturers in the world. So if I understood correctly, the, this solution, which you developed specifically for automotive, you're now finding applications outside of the automotive sector and in, in, in monitoring emissions in heavy industry as, as well. Is that right? Yes, that's the core project we developed and delivered in 2020. Uh, for this, just a, a bit of background. So Forestia has a purchase a subsidiary in Switzerland called Hug Engineering. This company, which is now belonging to Forestia, is uh, is doing after-treatment system, but for heavy applications. So we are talking about marine, rail, like the diesel locomotive and uh, power plants. So all this application is actually a very big engine to providing either propulsion or electricity so power generators and actually the need and it was also again related to covid we connected this system so we have more than uh, 50 to 60 systems connected uh, up to today we connect this system we monitor them remotely to check if everything is going well but one of the added value of this system is actually we are also able to to teleoperate the system uh, so to avoid people to go on site to do the some i would say just diagnosis operation or check what there is something wrong or just uh, resetting couple of settings to, to restart the system. So through this solution, we achieve multiple. But first of all, we, we reduce the number of travels. So we, we, we are able to monitor and to manage much more systems than we were 
doing before by sending someone on site. So we avoid all the problems, especially linked to, to the COVID and uh, the travel, which is uh, more and more complicated. But on top of this, we also maintain our system. So we have uh, we are much, much faster to answer a customer request each time something goes. So for Isha's core business being a supplier for automotive, this project, uh, is it fair to say that it opened up new business areas that are not traditionally part of Forisia's core business? So it's a very good question. Actually, the strategy of Forisia was to and is to diversify. If I take the field which we are right now, I would say exhaust system emission after treatment system for automotive may not be a topic which will cover us for the for the rest of our lives. Uh, knowing that vehicles are becoming more electric, going towards zero emission and so on and so forth. So Forestia has launched several activities to diversify. The first activities, not only this one, but one of the activities was to diversify from a domain standpoint. So moving from automotive to industrial application, uh, especially UG engineering. And all along the road, it makes sense. Why? Because even if the vehicles become electric, the power plants still, which are producing electricity for those vehicles still are using, I would say, traditional diesel or, or oil engine. So it makes sense to focus in this domain, especially from a sustainability perspective and also moving with zero emission. So for this, we have a, a joint venture with Michelin called Symbio for fuel cell. And we develop tanks for hydrogen based on our uh, composite and light material know-how. So technology perspective in industrial area, I would say the technology is quite similar to automotive, even though there is a big, big electronic part that we cover in industrial that we are not covering in automotive because this part is mostly in, in the OEM. It's after the big, big challenge for a company like Forestia, it's in new domain, I mean also a new generation of customer, new models, new revenue type, etc. Like the after-sales domain is something where we are, I would say, building the way because we are... We are not familiar with those kind of uh, new business models. That's all for today. We hope this special preview has got you excited for what's to come over on Driving the Future, a podcast about where the automotive industry is going and how not only to keep up with the rapidly changing business, but to shape it. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to seeing you there. I'd like to take a moment to thank Greg for sharing that wonderful preview with us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to FutureSight and Driving the Future on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been FutureSight, a show from Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.